welcome to the first episode of How to Make Climate Change Sexy, a podcast that explores how the fashion industry fuels the climate crisis and what can be done about this. I suppose since it's the first episode, I should probably introduce myself. I'm Izzy Gladstone. I'm a writer and photographer who is passionate about sustainable fashion. I recently graduated from a master's in environmental governance, where I researched how we communicate the climate crisis. Um, The name of this podcast, How to Make Climate Change Sexy, was inspired by Shinjiro Kazumi, Japan's environment minister, who said that to mobilise young people in the fight against the climate crisis, the issue had to be made sexy and fun. And if we consider something sexy to be very appealing or exciting, then there's no better vehicle than fashion to make climate change sexier. Since the fashion industry is one of the most polluting industries after the fossil fuel industry, we need to be talking about it more in regard to the climate crisis. And we need to have more conversations at every level with brands, with public, with the media, with policymakers and researchers. And ultimately, we need to transform the industry entirely to tackle the climate crisis. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to individuals at each level of the fashion industry to learn about how it fuels the climate crisis and what can be done to prevent it. I'll be demystifying commonly used terms and cutting through the greenwashing that many brands partake in, as well as talking to innovative figures and brands and learning about technologies that are helping to reform the fashion industry in the face of the climate crisis. I'm so happy that you are coming along on this journey. So for our first guest, I have Tomia Gregory. And Tomia is an amazing climate justice activist. She's an artist and illustrator. And her journey into climate justice activism actually kind of moves through the fashion world and her interest in fashion as a teenager. And she's going to talk to us about that, as well as finding your own place in the movement. And I think for me, that's something that's very important to recognise, because I think I always felt like to be involved in the climate crisis would mean that I'd have to put the things that I love, like fashion and photography, away. But it's more about utilising the skills and the passions that you have in the service of combating the climate crisis. We also talked briefly about greenwashing and big brands such as H&M. I think it's a really interesting conversation and I'm so happy that Tomia agreed to be the first guest. So without further ado, here is the interview. So let's start. So for anyone who doesn't know who you are, how would you kind of sum up your work and like what you do in the climate space? Yeah, so um, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I am Tomea Gregory, but everyone calls me Tolly. And I'm 21, but I'm turning 22 in two days from this recording. Um, And I am an artist and a climate justice activist. So using kind of any creative skills that I have to kind of engage people in the conversation around climate, um, as well as just being involved in like organizing and direct action and anything that feels like what you know the term activism like making it whatever feels right to me um so yeah Mm -hmm. and I saw recently on your Instagram I mean it probably wasn't that recent but you were saying how you have been like making content for about a decade now which I thought was crazy yeah so like people who maybe follow me have followed me in like the past couple of years will probably have no idea that like I started my online platforms that long ago um through fashion blogging um Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's been an interesting journey considering especially how like quickly people 
gain traction these days like you can join TikTok or Instagram and gain like thousands and millions of followers like very quickly whereas I'm still like still have quite a humble following <laughs> for how long I've been doing this for but um yeah I've always said like I, I'm never doing it for the numbers as much mm-hmm. as that can be like a pressure like it's always just been like a passion project that has turned into something which I feel really passionate for. I feel like there's such a shift from that 10 years ago use of the internet to now because I was the same like I had like a little craft blog that I just did for the joy of doing it and now I feel like so much of being online is really heavily monetized and like there's so much strategy to it. Yeah definitely and also like the age thing as well like when I started 10 years ago I was well when I first started I was 11 mm-hmm. <laughs> and like there was this massive like sense and feeling that like oh that's way too young to be online and whatever like a lot of judgment around being like a teen or a tween like on the internet Mm -hmm. but now like people just don't really question it if you're like 13 or 14 and have like a tiktok or whatever like that's just the norm um so yeah definitely a lot of changes have happened since then yeah that's so true I was thinking about like Tavi like Gevinson being online and everyone's like oh my god this teenage fashion blogger and like now that's just so not exceptional So you kind of started in the fashion sphere and then moved into climate. So how did that happen? Like, was there any events that like really pushed you into climate or was it like a slow realisation of the issues that you were facing in fashion were also the issues that were like involved in the climate crisis? So I guess like the general story um, is that I grew up wanting to be a fashion designer. So that was just like, what I was gonna do it was just like a given it was like Tolly she's gonna be a fashion designer and I remember when I was younger I would think if I don't reach that point that's gonna be really sad I'll be a failure and like so sad to like give up on your childhood dream um and yeah I stuck with this passion it kind of came a bit from like my mum she has a history in fashion design when she was a lot younger and um I started my blog again when I was 11 focusing on fashion and my love for it even if it was just like talking about like celebrity style and like Mm -hmm. here's how to put an outfit together using whatever and um it it was not the best but it was fun (laughs) and I was 11 so give me a break (laughs) and yeah just like a couple of years in um it was actually the Rana Plaza garment factory collapse that happened And in the aftermath of that, I watched a documentary called The True Cost, which became like my light bulb moment um, because it really just delved into the fashion industry, just like with no censoring, like it was just really raw and and honest um, kind of look into it. And I feel like that's quite like a cliche thing now. Like a lot of people, I think, look back on that kind of time in fashion and that was also their moment. But it's, you know, there's a clear reason why, because it really just revealed to a lot of people like so many of the different issues surrounding the fashion industry, not only in just like kind of the ethics of garment factories and garment makers, but also just the amount that was being produced. Um, And so that kind of yeah that kick-started my like educational journey and led me down a path of just self-discovery around fashion like it um I was also homeschooled at the time so it wasn't like I was being taught any of this in school I was reading the books that felt you know were calling to me watching more documentaries learning from people um and just slowly it was like a massive puzzle piece 
massive puzzle, all the pieces coming together. And it took like several years. And by the time it was like 2018, 2019, I was fully just like on board with the fact that the climate emergency is a thing. And Mm -hmm. that needed my attention more than the thought of becoming a fashion designer did. Um, And it wasn't like an overnight thing. Like I said, like it was a, a journey and a learning process, but it was yeah I don't know it was just one that had to happen in the way that it did and um a moment that I always reflect on is when I was outside London Fashion Week in 2019 and I was part of a protest um with Extinction Rebellion where we basically had kind of like a funeral procession um Mm -hmm. to honor the lives of the people who had who had lost their lives um in that garment factory collapse in 2013 in Bangladesh and I remember walking past the London Fashion Week venue and just feeling like, I don't know, it was just a really powerful moment because I saw this venue that I grew up thinking, oh, one day I'll like have a catwalk show in there and I'll send models down the runway. And now I was outside and I was protesting and I was standing against what it stood for. And I had to take a moment to be like, oh, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where life has gone. Um, but it was kind of, yeah, it was a nice moment in a sense, because it gave me that chance to kind of accept that and to grieve it in a way and to kind of move on and be like, okay, this is the reality of the situation. We are facing like dire consequences because of industries like the fashion industry. And I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Yeah. I think from a lot of like people who work in the climate sector that I've spoken to, it's always interesting to hear the alternative careers or like the lost careers. Um, like I was chatting to Days um, from Earthrise and she was saying how she'd actually love to do queer history, but she's now doing climate activism because we only have seven years and it's the most urgent thing. Um, and I feel like I'm the same, like I love photography, but I was working, like I do a lot of portrait photography because fashion photography sometimes feels like you're fueling the problem. Like how do you kind of morally deal with creating imagery that makes people want things and things that probably aren't that good for the planet um so I think I definitely shifted my work away from that because I just couldn't I don't know I couldn't really make sense of it or I felt guilty doing it it's that constant guilt of like when you know about the climate crisis you then pull it into all of your the things that you're doing and obviously we sometimes drive ourselves a bit mad through that yeah definitely I think especially as I had like an online platform that I was growing and a lot of the people reading it were people of a similar age I felt like this immediate sense of responsibility like if I know this then you should too and I've since I actually recently had someone message me who used to follow my blog like years ago and was like you were the first person to ever introduce me to the concept of sustainability and I was like damn okay <laughs> it's worth it for just hearing that like one person say that because it goes to show how you know you never know what impact you're going to have just by talking about it it can be enough um and also (laughs) speaking of like lost careers and stuff like that it reminds me of something that happened recently where I went to do a talk at a school and um I explained that whole story of like I grew up wanting to be a fashion designer and now I'm here and I'm an illustrator and doing climate activism and like quickly after these people who um working for a university and like being involved with these like secondary school kids um in their presentation they kind of like nodded not not nodded literally to me but kind of made a nod towards what I'd said about 
leave not wanting to be in the fashion industry they were like and if you want to stay in the fashion industry and make a change within I was like I want these kids to know that like they can also make a change outside as well and like a career path doesn't have to look like staying in these you know polluting industries because yeah it it was so funny to me because it was clear that they wanted to keep these kids on this strict path of like going into industry and keeping these jobs even though the reality is like we don't know what that future is going to look like and what those jobs will look like and we can make an impact whilst exploring other avenues yeah for sure and like I think so much of it is getting different approaches and different people into those industries I feel like sometimes if the only people entering the fashion industry are people that come from like pure fashion training sometimes the importance like the social importance the like political importance of changing how the industry works might get lost because you're just on that straight track that everyone else who's been into the industry is from and you're not getting much like diversity of thought in and I was wondering I mean do you think that because you do a lot of protesting about greenwashing especially with like H&M's greenwashing I was wondering if you think that the fashion industry is like particularly easy to greenwash Yeah, I think one of the ways in which it is particularly easy to greenwash is the fact that it's like it's very image focused, like it has so much money being poured into, you know, PR campaigns and marketing and how a brand looks. And that makes it so easy for them to spend money on making sure they look environmentally friendly as well. Um, And you mentioned H&M and I guess I can like expand on on what I did with that if you want. so for example last year um I was actually away with my boyfriend and one of our friends and another friend of ours <laughs> called Esme she messaged me um well she didn't message me she put on her Instagram story actually a picture of um H&M's shop window in our town and we are away so obviously we hadn't seen this like walking around but she sent a picture and I was just like oh my gosh (laughs) that's terrible (laughs) and um being all like climate people and climate activists on in ourselves we were like it wasn't even a question of whether we were going to do something about it we were just like we have to um Mm -hmm. and I like this story because I think it goes to show you only really need a small group of people like to make a change even if it's a small change um but basically the window display was so shocking because it looked so like kind of activist campaign like in in the colors in the fonts in the wording they were using um it was basically to promote a like I think it was a kids clothing line that maybe had a link to a charity and was supposedly sustainable probably had like organic cotton and stuff like that (laughs) um and we were just like how can they get away with basically um like repurposing activist like I don't want to say branding I guess like the identity of activists in Mm -hmm. like a campaign for fast fashion like that just it's so clever like what they've done and the the marketing company that was behind that like hats off to you on doing your research into activism and organizing and what it looks like now and today in like the times of like Extinction Rebellion and stuff because it was spot on um and so we were like right that's not (laughs) that's not good with us so we were just like right at the very least we'll have placards we'll go we'll take some pictures outside whatever um 
and so we did that my friend fee um they dressed up as their character they now have called captain greenwash <laughs> and they did like a bit of a performance outside the window and like just wanted to make it really obvious that what greenwashing was and stuff like that uh, my boyfriend was a photographer esme was photographing um photographing that's not a word was a ph- <laughs> photographing that's the pronunciation um and i decided you know what i'll be a bit brave and i'm gonna go and sit in the window display which Mm -hmm. is a little bit more risky it's not like super risky but it can be um and obviously like I'm in a position of a bit more privilege than some people being like a white person if I go and sit in a window likely my response is going to be much more like lightly handed um and the, the the end of the story is the fact that sitting in that window um causing a bit of disruption outside people stopping and staring and being like why is there someone sat in the window with fuck h&m on their t-shirt um it got removed the next day and um the employees in the shop um people went in to ask like oh why did why is the window changed and they said we can't say for certain but it might have had something to do with yesterday and that was very nice to hear well i think that's a really good story for like I think sometimes people have this idea that activism has to be this, you know, it's like going to these really big marches in London and like, (laughs) like waving a flag and like doing very centralised things. And I think it's what I really liked about seeing that action was that anyone could see that and think actually there were four people and they did a very like, like nice low stakes action and they like made a really, really big change to the window and stopped that greenwashing and because I think if you weren't as clued up about the climate crisis, you might just see that and think, oh, that's really cool. Like, they're really, really trying. And like the fact that they've copied the imagery of protest at the moment, like your brain isn't really going to make that distinction very easily or like very naturally, I guess. Like it's very hard to be critical of something if it's presented so seamlessly with the aesthetic of activism. After that, when we shared photos on social media and people were sharing them around, like some people were saying, oh, I thought the like display in the window was yours like (laughs) I thought you'd put those up because the wording and everything was so spot on um but in a way that was kind of kind of played into our hands because it proved the point like they were making it so greenwashy that people thought it was actually done by an activist sat in a window (laughs) Uh, but no no it was them um so yeah I think that's why fashion brands can do it so well because they have the money and the resources to do it Mm -hmm. um and it benefits them if they can make people think that they're doing more than they can they're going to make more money people will continue to buy into their brand and continue to have reasons to love them um and most of the time people love brands just because of the aesthetic or because it's affordable um so the the added bonus of oh they're also maybe helping the planet is obviously a good thing but it's not always the the reality of the situation yeah I think my my uh, most hated example of that is when brands come out with like an entirely new polyester plastic range and call it a vegan range that is probably the most infuriating thing to see so I was also thinking because like fashion can be easily greenwashed because of the way that it's so centered in, in like image and it has people's attention quite naturally I was wondering if you think that like maybe on the like other side of the coin, whether it has like a particular power to engage people with the climate crisis, like through fashion, because that's like how your story started. Yeah, I guess 
my short answer would be the industry itself I don't think is gonna do that I think um if anything the industry makes people think they have like I don't know it makes people think the power lies in consumption and choosing the right brand or choosing the right materials and stuff like that when actually the power lies in challenging those companies and speaking to people who can put policies in place that will um, restrict them from doing certain things um, or it lies in not shopping anymore and I think yeah it almost companies like dull down people's ability to mobilize and they water it down and they make you feel okay with what they're doing um and I also think that they're very the industry itself and the conversation around sustainability like we're almost doing their job for them at the moment I think especially with like TikTok and mentioning TikTok a lot I'm not even into one TikTok (laughs) that's how powerful it is um but like the whole conversation around um, fast fashion being affordable and it being kind of like this relatable thing and more accessible to people, in some ways it can be a good argument, but the majority of people who are using this argument are not the people it applies to. And that Mm -hmm. means we end up like doing their job, like (laughs) we're giving them reasons to still exist. We're improving their social license just by continuing with this argument that maybe doesn't actually hold up that well. Um, You know, for example, like on social media, people doing these hauls of like hundreds of pounds worth of Shein products, that's hundreds of pounds worth of, you know, hundreds of pounds of money that you could use to invest in quality items or you could use on fewer items over a longer period um and it's just the whole conversation around it I think we need to be careful like who it actually benefits does it benefit the people who genuinely can't afford new clothing are buying out of necessity or is it benefiting these companies at the end of the day and so ultimately again don't think the industry is going to be what does it but I think the anger that we have and the questions that we're asking that is what the power lies in um and I think we really need to do a better job at actually like making people feel um confident in that and like they can ask those questions and that they can take action and that it's not all in their wallet it's actually in sending emails to your MP as much as that is annoying (laughs) to both ourselves and our MPs like they're there for a reason um they can back up you know research that's done or they can push for certain things to be investigated and um you know just other stuff protests sitting in a window in H&M like there's more to it than the companies that actually uphold the industry itself yeah and that makes me think of a post of yours that you shared I mean a while back now I think last summer but talking about how there is a place in climate activism for everyone and that it's not all because I think there's such a misconception that it's all being the person gluing themselves to the bank or the person abseiling off a bridge whereas like there's such kind of a network of things that you can do and I was wondering like if you had I don't know like any tips for people who kind of do want to get involved but they're not really sure where their place is right now 
Yeah, I think first of all, it's all like trial and error. Like you're not going to know for sure what feels best for you unless you actually try. <laughs> it's all well again being like, oh, I don't think I could do X, Y, Z. Like, how do you know? You haven't mm-hmm. actually done it. <laughs> um, and also looking at what skills you have and what you enjoy doing most. So, for example, I am an artist and an illustrator. I'm fairly good at that, I think. That's what my job is. And I also really enjoy it. Um, but I also am worried about the climate. And so I put all of those things together. And that's one of the role, one of the many roles that can be right for me is the fact that I can illustrate and I can do graphic design and I can design posters and um, social media posts. And I've done like... Um, I think one time during a protest, like a week of action, I made or helped kind of create like a map of all the different protest sites and things like that. And, um, you know, just there are so many elements that need art and design to to bring (laughs) stuff together. Um, And then let's say photography, perfect example. You need people to be able to actually capture the moment happening so that it can be shared, you know, elsewhere or um if you are a copywriter you know how to put content together and ensure that it's clear and people have all the right information um you can write press releases for actions or anything like that um and one good example that I like to speak of is um when I did that that Instagram post and that Twitter thread kind of listing all the random roles that are involved whether you can make cups of tea or bake for people because they're caregiving roles that everyone needs. Um, mm-hmm. I actually had someone come to me off the back of that and they said that they were an accountant. And after reading my my thread, they felt inspired and they had set up a group called um, the Climate Con- Climate Conscient... Wait, let me get this right. <laughs> the Climate Conscious Accountants Network, I think it is. And they basically have brought together a group of other accountants who are interested in the climate and doing things in a more environmentally friendly manner um, who are accountants and that's a thing that exists now and like there's power in that like power in what you already do Um, like you don't have to reinvent the wheel or become someone entirely different just because you need to find a role like you are you have a place um so yeah I think just have a think about it and um find people as well find people Mm -hmm. so that you're not doing it alone um see if there is a group of of some kind in your local area whether it is a protest group or whether it's a food bank or just something that you can get involved with that you could fit into in some way or another and if you'd have no idea and you're clueless like that's what can help as well is like other people can help find a space for you because they'll be able to recognize oh you're really good at that like I had no idea um that I'm okay at facilitating meetings <laughs> wouldn't have known that unless I'd tried but people will yeah. be like oh Tolling, can you do it? <laughs> I think that's so nice as well, the accountants example and using people in industries that you wouldn't assume had like a natural fit to being involved and then actually realising that that's probably where the gaps are and where stuff needs to happen is in spaces where you don't assume that it would be happening. Um, I mean, we kind of spoke to this a bit already, but 
Like, do you have a lot of faith in the arts to tackle the climate crisis? I think I definitely see its value um, more than I did before, both just from like a practical point of view. Like I said, like we need design in order to spread the word, essentially, um, and engage people in a way that is exciting. But also, I think it has a role in terms of um, people's ability to envision the future and what that looks like. And that's something that I'm really interested in at the moment as a podcaster myself um, mm-hmm. and my podcast, Idealistically, where I basically ask people that exact question of like, what would your ideal world look like? What would you idealistically want in an ideal world? Um And I think that question and how art can be applied to it is really interesting to me because at the end of the day, you know, it's all well and good knowing what we're fighting against. You know, it's all all well and good knowing that we don't want fast fashion anymore. But actually, what what does the world look like after that? Um, We really need to start answering that question because I don't actually think a lot of people know. And it's not to say we need to know the solutions. Like, I find it really difficult when people are like, well, if you don't, you know, if you want to abolish fossil fossil fuels, for example, like what, you know, what are the exact steps to get there? Like, what are the exact steps after that? And like, that is literally not my job. I am a Mm -hmm. (laughs) 21-year-old artist, like never said that was my job description. Um, But I can tell them what I think it should look like and what life could feel like um, at that point. And yeah, art has a role in that. And I think we're seeing it more and more. I think people are starting to talk about imagination more and more. Um, We're also seeing like climate touched on more within like popular culture and films and stuff. Obviously, don't look up on Netflix, which was really popular um, at the end of the last year. Maybe not as much of a hopeful story as I'm talking about, but it still puts climate and these questions into people's minds um, in a mainstream way. Um, And yeah, there are just so many other ways in that, the ways that art art can can play a role for sure. Yeah, I think someone did ask me that question the other day. They were like, what do you think the future looks like? And I realised that I'd been so, I wanted to say traumatised, so kind of wrapped up in like, the terror of like what happens when it all goes wrong that I really think that I hadn't put enough thought into like actually what is it what happens if it all goes right like if we actually manage it like how does that look how does that feel how do we all function how do we all live although I did also through art learn about something horrible this week there's like a type of geoengineering um I think it's it's putting like sulfate into the sky and if they did it it would turn all of our skies white and we wouldn't live under blue sky anymore I thought that was like so terribly sad the idea of like having children and them not knowing that like the sky is blue. Yeah, I actually made an art piece about this because I I also recently learned about it and was in the had the same reaction as you did. Um, I'm sure I read what I actually said, and this was the uh, the kind of subtitle to the piece. It was a very rough sketch that I did because I was just like I was really like emotional. I was like I don't want this to happen. Um but I was like I do not sit in the sun and make art about sunsets to fight for a world where my children don't see it. And I was like that's how that makes me feel. I'm like sunsets to me are like some of the most beautiful things and like I have so many amazing memories just like witnessing sunsets. So I'm like let's not make that happen because the thought of like future generations not seeing one of the most like beautiful things in the world is 
heartbreaking. So yeah, mm. that's also where art plays a role. It's like capturing those emotions that we're going through at the moment in having to come to terms with all this stuff. Yeah, because I think there's only so many times you can hear like, we're not going to hit one and a half degrees, it's going to be two degrees, two and a half degrees. But if you can't imagine what that's going to look or be like, it's, I don't think, the best way of capturing people's uh, attention or imagination or even interest. Um, And then I'm going to ask you the final question um, that I ask all of the guests, which is, if you had to save three items of clothing from your wardrobe, um, maybe it's like burning (laughs) in the climate crisis if it all goes wrong, um, what items are you saving and why? It's a really tricky one, but I think I've narrowed it down. Um, The first one would be my um, Carhartt dungarees that I thrifted off of Depop. Um, a few years ago I actually first found this pair of dungarees um, after watching the tv show Love on Netflix and the main character played by Gillian Jacobs wears them and I was just like I think I'd look cool in them too because she did (laughs) Um, so I like scoured the internet for ages I bought a pair from eBay which ended up being too small so I had to send them back and finally found a pair on Depop. Um, I think they were probably around 70 or 80 pounds. So it's like, for me, that's quite a big investment to spend on clothes. And then yeah. I even went further and I went to a local tailor's and had them taken up a little bit because the, log, the, the logs, the legs were slightly too long. Um, but it's so worth it because I just wear them all the time. Um, and I'm looking at them now and they are very faded. They need a wash. <laughs> But they're going to last me like years and years um, and they're just very cool. And I've since like put all my pin badges like on the chest piece. um, And I think that adds a very personal touch to them as well. Uh, I have um, have a pair I got, I think, when I was writing my dissertation and I just wore them solidly for about two months. (laughs) It's just like I didn't have any kind of brain power left to like make outfits. And now they're like some of my favorite things because they're just so convenient. Yeah, they're also like very practical. Like I've worn them during protests where I've had to like sit on a road for hours and I slept in them once when I had to camp during a protest when it was really cold. So they're very versatile if you're an activist. <laughs> um, the second thing I think would be um, I have a red Versace suit. I think it's like a Versace jeans suit. So it's not like the most expensive top of the range but I got gifted it during my fashion blogging days. And it's just, I always get compliments when I wear it. It's a perfect, like bright red, really statement. And I just feel so super confident in it. I usually wear it when I do like talking things, like public speaking or like a panel or whatever, just, it feels like my uniform. Um, And the third thing would probably be a pair of Doc Martens. I have quite a few. Um, again like mostly gifted through my fashion blogging days which I feel very lucky about Um, and a pair that I got secondhand for like 15 euros at a jumble sale I think in France or Italy Um, and they're just such a trusty good pair of shoe and when I was growing up I like I just loved Doc Martens like I had like a Doc Martens book and a poster in my bedroom and the first pair I ever bought I had just been going around, um, I used to live in France and French people love like car boot sales. They're called Vigonniers and that's probably a terrible pronunciation, but um, 
they like love jumble sales and they're just all over the place and I was like I am going to find a pair and this one day I was like manifesting it I was like today is the day that I find my pair and we walked past this table me and my parents and I saw them I was like gotta check the size <laughs> check the size and they were like size five and I was like oh my gosh and I got a gun like a gun metal silver pair for I think they were like 30 euros and I was I was so happy um they sadly I got like I grew out of them um I think I still have them in storage somewhere because I'm like I want to pass these down one day because they have such a nice memory to them (laughs) yeah they are such good shoes I feel like I have like three pairs that are just on rotation and the same kind of thing you said with like doing activism work in your dungarees I feel like whenever I'm doing like long protest shoots it's always those shoes that I wear because they're like the comfiest yeah and I think um all of those things are like secondhand which I think is nice because goes to show you don't need to like buy new for something to be really special um and also on the like Dot Martin's front as well the amount of time that I waited to invest in something nice similar with the the dungarees as well like that adds to how special they are to me yeah for sure because you're like oh this is such like special item it's it doesn't feel as well it certainly doesn't feel disposable if you've waited a long time to have something it feels so so special but thank you so much for talking to us today and if people want to find you where can they find you and like under what handles yeah sure so I'm on twitter instagram linkedin (laughs) Um, and you can find me by searching my name tomea um t-o-l-m-e-i-a and also my podcast is on pretty much every podcast platform aside from amazon because i don't like amazon and it would just feel (laughs) wrong to put it on there um but that is idealistically um and on instagram it is at idealistically pod and on twitter it is at idealistically p Okay, um, I hope the conversation with Tolmia has left you feeling inspired and most importantly empowered about what you can do to help combat the climate crisis in your own sphere, in your own industries, in your own worlds. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode. I really appreciate it. If you could subscribe or leave a rating, I would be very grateful and would send you a virtual forehead kiss. Um, other than that, I think that's everything for this week. Um, I'm looking forward to joining you again next week to talk more about sustainable fashion. Bye!